GB Foods is a food company growing really fast, mainly present in Africa and Europe. We have yeah. products in different categories. We produce soups, we produce pasta, noodles, table sauces, and other topics like ready meals or teas and infusions. Our company has a mantra, delivering while transforming. We have been always in constant change. It's part of our DNA. For me, this kind of vertical concept of departments doesn't exist anymore. And no one yep. standalone takes any decision. One of the things that we are very good at is to keep this startup mindset in the sense of constantly looking how to be more efficient, to be more lean, combined with a clear concept of flexibility. This is CRNA TV. My name is Hendrik Deckers. I'm here today with Eulalia Nadal, who is the Chief Corporate Officer and the Chief Information Officer of GB Foods. A very warm welcome, Eulalia. Thank you, Hendrik. A great pleasure to be here with you today. Eulalia, you have a Master in Economics and Business Management from UPF in Barcelona. And you worked for companies such as Accenture, Cadbury, Adidas. And in 2020, you joined GB Foods as the CCO and CIO. So tell us a little bit more about yourself. What's your background? Who are you? And how did you arrive in this position at uh, GB Foods? Uh, sure. So uh, as you mentioned, I'm originally from Barcelona. It's where I studied and I started my career. Uh, and after some a couple of years working uh, in my first company, I decided to move on and I, I moved to France where I started, I would say, my international experiences working for different companies. I've worked in eight different companies, so I'm someone that likes uh, challenges and likes to learn also and develop myself. Uh, majority of my career has been in IT positions. This is where I really uh, enjoyed uh, transformational roles. But in the last ones, I also was able to uh, start uh, doing topics like shared services, HR, strategy. So I developed more to transformation, but more from a process and strategy perspective. And after Adidas, I had the opportunity to come back to my home city, which I really like, and I'm enjoying it with my kids. And uh, yeah, now I joined GB Foods uh, in 2020 in the middle of the pandemic, which was an interesting move also to change country and everything in the middle of pandemic. And CCO stands for uh, corporate role. So I'm managing uh, four areas, which are including IT, a CIO. Mm -hmm. I'm also managing a jar, which looks like a strange combination, but it's a perfect one, I can tell you, especially mm -hmm. when you transform businesses. And I also include legal and corporate comms. Okay. And tell us a little bit more about GB Foods. I mean, you're in fast-moving consumer goods, you're in the foods uh, business. What, what categories are you in and what markets uh, do you serve? So GB Foods is a food company growing, uh, growing really fast, mainly present mm -hmm. in Africa and Europe. In Africa, we are selling mainly in Nigeria, Algeria, uh, Ghana, uh, Senegal and West Africa. Uh, mm -hmm. And in Europe, we are present mainly in Europe, uh, in Spain, which is uh, our largest, I would say, country, but also with Italy as a key market, France, Belgium, Netherlands and Nordics. We have yep. uh, products in different categories. We produce soups, uh, 
uh, is one of our uh, big, uh, large, I would say, products. We have also mm -hmm. uh, cubes. It's also uh, something that we are very famous, especially in Africa and Spain. We produce pasta, noodles, table sauces, uh, cooking cooking uh, sauces, also like tomato, and uh, yeah. other topics like uh, ready meals or teas and infusions. These are our main categories. We are very famous because of our brands. So typically people don't know our company, more our brands. Yeah, and I, I know the brands, the Vos Lemmers, I know Liebig and a couple of the other brands. So a very interesting collection of, of uh, food brands. So organizations today, Eulalia, are, are under constant pressure to change and to transform. And it's also your role to help GB Foods transform. So what are today the drivers for change in, 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 in your company? I would say our company has a, as a mantra, trans delivering while transforming. So we have been mm -hmm. always in constant change. It's part of our DNA. Uh, but it's true that in the recent years, we have additional pressure coming from not only the consumer, which is changing behaviors, becoming more digital, more demanding, uh, but also from supply chain. It's a clear driver for change. So we are becoming more and more uh, we are working in a market that supply chain becomes a, a, a brings attention, so we need to adapt to these tensions. Costs are increasing, so we need to also adapt to be a, to become a sustainable business, and this drives a lot of change, internal change, to adapt to make our PNL sustainable in all in all means. Mm -hmm. And this war for talent, for me, it's the other big change that we need to adjust, adapt, and be very bold on how we attract and retain talent in our company. Okay, and, and what are the main ways that the company is reacting to this change? How, how are you keeping up with the, with the change in the industry? One of the things that we, uh, we are very good at, I would say, is to keep this startup mindset in the sense of mm -hmm. constantly looking how to be more efficient, to be more lean. This is one of our uh, key strengths, I would say, combined with a clear um, concept of flexibility. So how can we fast adapt to any change in the market? How can we capture very fast any insight coming from any signal, I would say, in the market or even internal that uh, asks us to shift gears when it comes to product, to innovation, to adapting to our consumers, to supply chain challenges, to the markets that we are present. So we are a, a company that grows not only organically, also non-organically, so through m and So we are exploring mm -hmm. the market on a constant basis. So I would say it's a combination between this mindset, combining agility, combining flexibility, startup. Uh, we are a healthy business, so our strength also helps us to, to become very sharp on our investments. And, and this combination between delivering and transforming, observing, and making sure that our results are there to continue growing, it's what helps us to continue uh, working on that. We have a lot of transformational programs going on in all the areas, so in operations, in back office, also in front office, so everything that comes to sales. We are trying to be really lean from a workforce perspective, but at the same time very efficient and be where we need mm -hmm. to be with the right people and the right skills. And this is constantly under assessment. So I would say we have the programs very focused and very uh, oriented to deliver and being very efficient, but continuing growing in a constant basis also. Yeah. Now, Lali, the first thing that I would like to uh, discuss with you is that we have now a good idea of what the business is and it's a, it's a healthy, growing uh, business doing a lot of acquisition, very lean, um, a very interesting culture as well. 
And so I can imagine that uh, automation is an important topic or is becoming more and more of an, uh, of an important topic. The way that we automate not only production processes, but also work processes, how we can um, implement software robots, how we can implement RPA and so on and so on. So, so tell us a little bit, how, is, how far are you in the journey of uh, adopting automation in GB Foods? I would say we are more than piloting. So we started maybe piloting mm -hmm. two, three years ago, but now we are becoming uh, embedding, I would say, automation as part of uh, our main processes. It's true that we are mm -hmm. most focused on back office functions when it comes to automation, yeah. but we have already a tool. We have already worked in more than 10 uh, processes to automate. And now we are mm -hmm. even in the phase of setting up uh, a digital office in which we, we are putting strong governance, analyzing processes that we can automate, that we can monitoring, I would say, the automation, how it works, and even um, checking the results of this automation when it comes to savings, efficiencies, retrofitting the wheel. So I would say we have switched from piloting automation to already mm -hmm. establishing this as a as an area within our organization that in a constant basis seeks for efficiencies in our organization. And why is it that this is important for you? Is that because it, it allows you to save costs, is to be more efficient, or is it allows you to be in, in non, uh, more innovative, or does it allow you to take away boring work from, from, from your people? What, is the, what are the drivers to, uh, to, to implement these, these new automation processes and tools? I would say in our case, it's clearly efficiency driven. So we have mm -hmm. processes that, and again, this links to our concept of being a lean organization. So we cannot afford mm -hmm. growth only by adding people to our organization. So we need to look for ways to automate and look for efficiencies to do uh, more work with uh, a reasonable, I would say, number of, of teams. Uh, and mm -hmm. these tools also bring uh, value in the sense of automating processes. Um, allowing that we focus people in value-adding tasks. This is also another component that for us is very relevant, that people really focus their time on value-adding or even in, in, in tasks that satisfy themselves, that they are not doing repetitive yeah. tasks that are nonsense or non-value-adding. So for us, it's more, this is the focus, and this is where we are looking for more and more processes, standardized processes that we can continue automating and, and making it more efficient. Okay, super. So. Let's talk a little bit maybe first about the back office pro, uh, processes. Which, can mm -hmm. you give a couple of examples? Which functions are you automating and how are you doing that? Yeah, I would say finance became our first uh, guinea pig in this journey. <laughs> and they have uh, really volunteered in, in many aspects. We started with accounts payable as one of the key ones, mm -hmm. followed by treasury. These were uh, the two ones where we had a lot of opportunities because the process was quite standardized and there are a lot of repetitive tasks that you can really automate and, and implement robotics and process automation, RPA. So this is where we started. And now we are expanding in some operations process, operational process, in, especially in procurement and customer service. And we try to follow with HR processes, like, for example, approvals mm -hmm. of new headcounts or, or things that we can really make more lean, more digital, more automated, and that people appreciate also not to spend much time in, in things that, uh, that a robot can do. Okay, so in treasury and procurement, I in general, in finance, uh, also in HR. Can you give us a couple of very concrete examples how that, how that works? 
Yeah, definitely. So in accounts payable, clearly we have um, a lot of, I would say, invoices to process from suppliers. And mm -hmm. in, in this case, so we, we found that a, a lot of value by automating that process in which we can really capture scanned image of those invoices. And then by identifying mm -hmm. the different parts like supplier number or amount, currency, uh, this is something that the robot can clearly identify, automate, and then load it directly in SAP. This had a lot, this added a lot of value and allowed us to really save time from many people and process a lot mm -hmm. of invoices uh, faster than before. And the other big yeah. area, which is treasury, we are also doing a lot of reconciliation of accounts, which is an area that uh, requires, it's, it's managing huge volume of data. And it's something that once you have, I would say all the numbers and all the details by just uh, indicating to the robot, which fields they need to, to match. It's something that also saves a lot of time and adds a lot of value when you automate. Value in the sense of, this is a non-value adding process that then you remove from people and you can dedicate those people to do more value adding. Okay. And how do you find the, the, the I mean, the, the best processes or the more uh, interesting processes to automate? Do you do some, some kind of analysis or some mining of processes? How does that work? Well, we observe. We observe a lot mm -hmm. and we, ex we spend time with our uh, key business partners. Uh, and observe because typically when you observe them in the daily uh, work is where we, you find out these repetitive tasks that sometimes they don't even realize and then you identify, look, here are uh, opportunities. Also, another thing that helped us a lot is to document the process on a very detailed basis mm -hmm. because when you document the process, the tools themselves that are helping you to document those processes help you to identify which pieces of the process you can automate better, you can make them more efficient, you can add uh, RPA technologies on top of them. So it's this combination yeah. between observing, asking the users, because sometimes they come and they say, look, this is very repetitive, this we, could, we should do something, plus these tools that help you to identify those processes themselves. So this is how okay. we identify them. And then it's true that we, uh, at the beginning, we were more looking for areas that show the interest to test this type of technologies. Now we have more demand and capacity. So uh, people are uh, coming to us to ask for this type of uh, support and automation. And now we need to even filter the demand. Uh, this is why we are uh, thinking about expanding also our office, uh, our digital office with external support, external partners that help us to uh, to do more even with, uh, with, with uh, the same budget. So it's, uh, it's, yeah. it's looking really good now. And you have a dedicated team that works on automation in, inside IT or is it outside our, our, of IT? How is that organized? We, we have a uh, team in IT, but it's really small because what we mm -hmm. are doing is to work with uh, an external company that uh, helps us as an extension of our yeah. team. So we are the ones mm -hmm. filtering the demand and it's true that we have some kind of expertise also internally, but uh, this third party is the one that helps us. They have the knowledge of not only one tool, several tools that we could use, and then they help us to implement, to maintain, to evolve, I would say, the processes when, when there are changes that we need to adjust the, the process that we have automated. But the usage of the tools and the implementation of the RPA and the software robots is done in that team. It's not done by the business users themselves. So it's, it's, you have a split of, let's say, the IT skills in, in, in IT and the business skills in business. Is that how, it, how you've organized it? We, uh, we do it, we implement it, and they use it. Let me put it like that. Mm -hmm. So at this stage, we still don't have, in this area, in this area, in other areas, mm -hmm. we do have uh, users 
that are uh, as experts, I would say, as our IT teams. But in the robotics piece, we are still leading, I would say, the, the maintenance and the support and the implementation from the IT uh, area while the users only uh, execute. When the, once the robot is, is there or the process is automated, they use it as users. That's yeah. it. And do you think you will evolve more in the direction of citizen development where the business users are becoming more uh, self-supporting and using the tools uh, themselves much more and they create their own, they automate their own processes and so on and maybe create their own simple applications even with, with, with other, with low-code, no-code tools and so So what's your, how, how, how much freedom do you want to give your, your business users? What's your yeah. uh, philosophy on that? I'm always a big fan of freedom within a framework. So I think that mm -hmm. uh, our users are sometimes as experts as the IT team. So if you do a right partnership and you establish the right rules, it's uh, fantastic that the users can become more autonomous on, on developing their own uh, things and even adjusting or, man or sustaining when they, they need uh, small things. The only issue is that most of these technologies, and it happens the same thing when we talk about advanced analytics, require very advanced technical skills. So, and you cannot find that everywhere. But when we work with hub and spoke models that we develop really concrete um, groups of users that have the right skills. Of course, I'm a big fan of, of uh, just establishing the right governance and the right, uh, I would say, uh, demand management process that they don't create whatever. But then if they can uh, work standalone, it's fantastic. And we are working in that direction. So we are not yet there, but this is our ambition in GB Foods, absolutely, yeah. And are you calculating the, the, the returns? I mean, are you calculating how many, I don't know, FTEs you can automate, how many processes, how much money you're saving, how much money you're making? Is, are you following it up on that side as well? Now, yes. So at the beginning, no, because we were more in the focus of implementing and testing and piloting. But now that we are establishing this as a more, I would say, professional and, and daily uh, service, Yes, we measure and we even start tracking uh, the, what are we doing with these savings. So, for example, in the 10 process mm -hmm. that we have automated, we generated a, an efficiency, or, uh, an equivalent efficiency of 3.8 FTEs. So this is something that we now measure upfront and after so we can track yep. that these efficiencies are properly managed within the organization. Yeah. Okay. And what are the... What is your current challenge to, to uh, roll this out company-wide and, and, and in all different processes and fully go the, the, the way of automation? Is, is skills, is that the main thing? Or what, what's, what's keeping you from, from expanding this faster, faster and faster? So uh, for me, one of the main challenges is to, uh, to find those processes that are in the right level of standardization that you can automate. Because this only works if really the process is, I would say, 95% standardized. Otherwise, the mm -hmm. robot gets stopped every five minutes and then you need, to, you need the human interaction again. So yeah. finding those processes that or convincing our business users that first they need to standardize and then we can come with further automation. Sometimes it looks like a, a, a silly sentence, but it's like that. So first you need to really look for a process that works across the different areas or the different uh, markets in a consistent way. And then you can come and, and give it this final touch of, of robotics before you can uh, be efficient. And then the second big challenge is to, is to secure that those efficiencies are, are kept 
uh, as a business because typically what you save it's part-time of an FTE. So uh, it's not that you just implement a robot and then you have no. one headcount that, that can be devoted to another task. It's just here you save 0.1, here 0.2. So all this tracking of efficiencies, because at the end, all these technologies have a cost and you need to invest in each of the cases. So to make yeah. sure that also uh, business understands that this is done so we can reach uh, shift, I would say, those uh, headcounts or those savings to other tasks. It's also a discussion that still takes a little bit of time. But we are getting there. As I mentioned, we have more demand than capacity at this stage. So mm -hmm. I think it's, uh, it's, it's becoming really a, a positive uh, topic in the organization. Very well accepted. Okay. Let's talk a bit about your ERP strategy as well. I mean, you're active in many, many different countries. Does that mean that you have one integrated ERP or if you have separate ERP systems by country? What's your strategy uh, around, around ERP? We have a single ERP, which is uh, based mm -hmm. in SAP. So we are an mm -hmm. SAP company mainly when it comes to especially back office functions and, and operations. And when we acquire new companies, one of the things that we always do is to integrate them in our systems because it has a lot of benefits in many senses. And it's not only about the tool, it's also about the processes, the data behind, and, and everything that comes, the reporting, how do we operate. So, but yes, we are, um, this is our company strategy at this stage. Okay. Are there many links between the, let's say the ERPs and, and, and the, or your ERP and, and the RPA uh, tools and processes that you put in place? There are, but not when we integrate. So we implement them after. So once the processes mm -hmm. are standardized and when we operate in, I would say, in a standard mode, then it's when we come with the RPA in a second stage. Uh, th this is not applying to the commercial area. So in the commercial area, we clearly have other tools and a more flexible approach. But um, yeah, in everything that comes to back office and operations, uh, we first go with, I would say, more the ARP and the process standardization, and then we, we come with the RPA approach. Okay, great. So we've got a good view of where you are in your automation journey and, uh, and, 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 and your strategy, your vision on that. Let's talk a moment about um, uh, the relationship between CIO and CFO in, in this area of automation, because, I mean, this is a strategic decision for the company to, to, to do more automation. Finance is, is, the, is, is your favorite client in this domain as well. So the decisions to go for and, and, and how to go for, uh, for automation uh, are in some companies more taken by the CFO and some companies more by the CIO. How does that work um, together? How do you collaborate with your CFO when, when, when you talk automation in your organization? I would say in, in the different companies that I, I had worked where I, either from my IT role or my more strategy role, whatever, or shared service, um, it has always been a collaboration. So it's not that one mm -hmm. side decides and the other one implements. So typically in the CFO, I always find, or I have always found a great partner in the sense of uh, mm -hmm. someone that has a genuine interest on becoming more efficient, a genuine interest on partnering with IT, and IT finds a perfect, uh, as I mentioned before, guinea pig to test technologies, to, to, uh, to, to start, uh, you know, implementing pilots of new tools and things like that. Yeah. And I would say that uh, it's this combination uh, that helps in an open dialogue that we can, from an IT perspective, we can showcase 
how good could look like or how fantastic could look like if you bring automation and then finance helps us to choose the right processes. Finance is typically a great partner um, to support standardization, which is a must when you want to really mm -hmm. automate. So for me, it has always been a partnership and a joint decision yep. in which maybe we bring more the technological knowledge and finance brings more the process knowledge and all together we, we just make this decide and then follow up on the implementations and even they are also really great on, on enhancing things. So you, if you fail in a pilot, so they are uh, really good partners on this try and, and failure and, and try again and, and, and make it happen on a, on a very efficient way. Mm -hmm. So who would you say is the, the chief automation officer? Is that the CFO or the CIO? For me, it's both. So it's, uh, it's this mm -hmm. combination. I don't think, uh, for me, this, this kind of uh, vertical concept of uh, departments doesn't exist anymore in current organizations. I think that now organizations are more horizontal and no one yep. standalone takes any decision. So you need to really um, talk to other areas, uh, make a joint uh, decision and, and a conscious decision aligned with the business strategy, call it CFO or call it uh, CEO or call it uh, CCO, whatever. And then uh, IT can become really the ones that lead the implementation, why not? But it has yeah. to be a joint decision, always. Now you've worked with, with several CFOs in, in this organization, previous organizations. I sometimes have the impression that um, CIOs are more like the, the innovators and CFOs are more like the controllers. And so there's, there, there could be like a natural tension between the two roles. What, what's your experience in this? Well, my experience is that I think it's even a little bit the opposite. So as mm -hmm. uh, more and more, the not only the CFOs, all I would say the, the business areas are becoming uh, more digital. Uh, we have a lot of knowledge in the business side and there is a lot of access to knowledge mm -hmm. from our uh, business partners they always find out things even earlier than IT sometimes, or they always want to try things and they always come with ideas or well, can we implement this, can we implement that? And IT, even if we want to be on the edge that typically we are, but we, mm -hmm. we, we became more the controllers to try to make sure that we, we, we stay with the less, I would say number of applications possible because there is also a cost uh, behind having 20 applications instead of one. Uh, we are the ones that try to uh, make understand users that maybe this application is not secure enough, the other one it's not um, good for integration. So for me, the roles have switched a little bit and, and, mm -hmm. and there is a huge demand for innovation coming from the business and a huge need to become a little bit controllers coming from IT, which is a funny situation. But I, and this is why I'm always a big fan of business partnering and communication and, and making joint decisions because I think I think IT, for sure we have the role of innovators, uh, but we also have the role of explaining the users that innovation needs to be made also within a framework, that it's not uh, everything is valid. Uh, companies need to take a lot of care of security nowadays, so we need yeah. to also look at applications and and digital topics uh, with with this lens of, of security and 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 data. So um, th this is my 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 approach with the teams. I always encourage them to have these open dialogues to explain a lot what is coming from the mm -hmm. market, but also explain make this educational role 
on why not everything is valid or why sometimes we don't test some things that they look super cool, but then at the end, um, it's not as cool as they look like. So, so what's the secret of, of, of a very uh, productive and, and great relationship between a CIO and a CFO? For me, it's empathy. So I always like to understand what drives the the other person. So which are their mm -hmm. needs, their interests, their uh, objectives. No, because when when you understand what drives the other side, call it a CFO, call it again a chief operations officer. So maybe one is looking for efficiencies, the other one is looking for information, the other one is looking for a perfect demand management. And, and once you understand that, then you can collaborate and you can help each other. And at the same time, I try to explain which are my needs also, which are the needs of IT, the objectives, what are we looking for? And, and this is uh, for me, it, uh, it has always worked very well to have this open conversation and ask the right questions about what drives you, what motivates, what, what do you really need from us and then how we can help. And then also being very open on what we can do and what we cannot do. So I have found uh, CIOs that over promise and CFOs that underestimate, I would say. So uh, it's always good to, to be very, very clear and manage expectations from both sides on what can we do, by when, and how much will it cost. So all these things are things that you need to discuss up front, not after the fact, because then it creates a lot of tension. Let's talk a bit about more about your, uh, your, your IT role and how IT and digital is organized in GB Foods. How have you structured IT in, uh, in, in your current organization? So now we have um, a large team focused on what we call core uh, IT which includes all the infrastructure, uh, applications, maintenance, and the core systems that we use. And then we have created, uh, since one year and a half, a very lean team, very small one, that where we are um, capitalizing all the digital, I would say, innovation assets. Mm -hmm. Okay, It's not that they are separate, we work together, both teams, but it's true that having a dedicated team only for digital, it is helping us to accelerate, I would say, the delivery or some of the capabilities. Um, mm -hmm. They need to work together because the digital team doesn't have a replicated infrastructure team, so there are some topics that are cross, like cyber, like infrastructure, but, um, but clearly this uh, digital team, it's uh, making sure that, for example, we test agile methodologies when rolling out uh, new projects or what we test, uh, I would say, advanced analytics within uh, customer insights department. So this is the remit of this department. Okay. And, and how would you describe your role as CIO? In your CIO role, what is it fundamentally that, that you do? And, and if, I mean, a good way is to look at your agenda. If, if, um, where do you spend most of your time as a, as a CIO nowadays? I would say in both, in two topics. One, it's clearly mm -hmm. cyber. Cybersecurity has become a hot topic, not only here in many organizations. So I have a lot of uh, focus uh, and making sure first that the organization understand the threats that we have, um, and then to, to make sure that we are uh, solid, I would say, and, and, and we are really good on managing uh, all the security topics within the company. And the second one is building capabilities. So uh, to support the business growth, we need to build capabilities on a constant basis. So the, 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 the business needs to for sure have the famous keep the lights on up and running, but those new capabilities that are coming, 
call it employee digital workplace, call it, I would say, consumer insights or digital consumer. All this is coming really fast. Factories, mm -hmm. automation, and, and this is my, I would say, second big focus where we are really uh, transforming the business and supporting the business growth through all these new capabilities. These are our main agendas. Although I must admit that the fact that I'm having this dual role, combining HR and IT, it's a perfect, I would say, topic because when we transform, we transform both from IT and human capital. And this is, um, this is being uh, very, very efficient. It works really well. Well, let's talk a little bit on, 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 on how do you do that? How do you attract people? How do you grow your people? How do you make sure that you retain your best people? I mean, in, in the food industry, it's maybe not the, 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 the hottest industry for, for top IT talent, I don't know. So how do you make sure that you have good people around you in your, in your IT and digital teams? Well, in talent, we are clearly developing a, a strategy. We have started also mm -hmm. Um, people has been always uh, a key asset for us. Eh? We call it like that. And, and it's in the center of everything we do. People that we have in the company and people that we want to attract from outside. So we are our strategy to attract and retain talent, it starts before we, we, we have people in the company. So how do we go outside and look for talent everywhere? This globalization, I would say, on the search it's, it's something that has changed uh, in the recent, I would say, couple of years. So we, mm -hmm. we, we are not anymore a local company, even if we have a local operating model. But yes, we search talent locally, but we also search talent globally. Uh, and, and this flexibility, we have a very uh, an hybrid model, working model that allows us also from, to recruit people elsewhere. And this is helping a lot. Then we have uh, more and more an employee. We have a strong employee value proposition, so we are very clear on what we, what which are our differential assets, and we we use, I would say, this employee value proposition, these differential elements, to explain it to people, not only to the ones that we want to attract, also to the ones that are inside the company, to make sure that they mm -hmm. understand how these key assets that we have in GB Foods and that are very unique. Um, uh, I, I, we want them to leave them in a, in a daily basis. And then we have programs. We have programs to develop talent, to develop people, learning yeah. modules. We are working a lot in talent programs. Um, Comp and Ben, absolutely, it's also a topic that we have on the table. So we try to, to look at the entire, I would say, employee experience and make sure that talent plays a role. We are also caring about diversity and inclusion in that sense, mm -hmm. so that uh, we make sure we are focusing on, on two elements of diversity and inclusion, which is gender and origin. So mm -hmm. to make sure that we, we have the right balance, I would say men, women, uh, in some functions is not an easy topic, but, but we care about that. And then that we not only have the right balance, we also have the right, I would say, processes and policies and mindsets and behaviors that people feel included in our company and our organization. It's part of our values and, and we really um, have very clear even leadership behaviors that encourage our leaders to become uh, clear role models on diversity and inclusion. So if people watch this video and they're interested, I mean, they're IT talent, why this is your one minute. Why is it that they need to come and work for you for, uh, at, at GB Foods? 
because we have the challenge to develop. So we, we are ex mm -hmm. experiencing, I would say, and, and developing uh, all the aspects that uh, in large companies, maybe they are already settled and you just join other companies to execute. And we are in full mm -hmm. swing of implementation. So the fact that the business is growing is allowing us to really bring new capabilities, test, fail, continue developing. So. Um, IT now we are really enjoying. We have a large pipeline, it's true, but it's something that not many companies can offer to join a company that is in a growing market, uh, both in Europe and Africa, which give us a really large spectrum of opportunities and that we can um, work with uh, a lot of enthusiastic users because we have full support from our internal, I would say, customers and that we can really test new capabilities, new tools. Um, we have the trust also from the top management. So uh, people that join are really happy of what they are um, capable to develop, do on a daily basis. So nobody gets bored here and, and you really enjoy. When you come back home, I always tell them, you should come back home and say, today I really enjoyed what I did in the office. And I think more and more, this is the experience that people have in in our function. Lalia, you're clearly very successful as a manager, as CCO, CIO, and, and, and developing teams. And it's surely very interesting that you combine HR with, uh, with, with IT. But let's also talk a little bit about your leadership style. And, and so what is, that, uh, what is your way to lead teams, not only to manage them? And, and, and maybe a good way to ask this is, what do you think people will say about you and, uh, and when you're not around, when they talk amongst themselves, how do you think you're perceived as a leader? Well, I can share with you what they tell me when I do 360s or this type of uh, thing. So clearly they define me as a transformational person. So I'm not someone that, um, that accepts a status quo. So um, I'm very direct. So I'm very honest, direct. And um, I like to develop high-performing teams. So I, mm -hmm. I put really high standards in the teams, but at the same time, I help the teams to, to have the right, I would say, environment and the right uh, tools to, to become this high-performing team. So it's this balance between challenging uh, teams, giving them the right tools, but uh, putting really clear, but, um, but interesting objectives, challenging objectives. Now, in these interviews, in these leadership deep dives, we use the MBTI personality type as, as the common thread. And you shared with us that you are an ISTJ, also known as, as a logistician. An ISTJ is someone um, with the introverted, observant, thinking and judging personality thread. And these are people that tend to reserve, to be reserved, but yet witful and, and uh, with a rational outlook on life. Uh, and these people there compose their actions carefully and carry them out methodically uh, with a methodical uh, purpose. So uh, I'm going to uh, name a couple of strengths and then a couple of weaknesses of people with your profile, Lali. And you, you tell me how you, if you recognize yourself in that. So strengths of an ISTJ is that, like you said, honest and direct, but also strong-willed, dutiful, very responsible, calm and practical, and you, they like to create and enforce order. Is, do you recognize yourself in that? Yeah, I would say yes. So clearly I'm a mm -hmm. very organized person and I like uh, planning. I like, uh, I, would not, I would say that um, 
I accept, I would say, flex changes, but I always like mm -hmm. to know how good looks like and how we can achieve it and that there is a time horizon behind. And direct, uh, clearly I am, yes, uh, and, and a challenger, yes. So I, this is clearly defining my, my leadership style. Okay. Now, more interesting or also interesting is the, the development areas, the weaknesses of people with this personality. So sometimes these people can be very stubborn, insensitive, do things always by the book, be judgmental, or often be unreasonably uh, blame themselves if things go wrong. I'm sure, I mean, you have done quite a career, you have developed yourself as a very successful professional. So which of these weaknesses uh, do you recognize that you had and have you overcome and how did you overcome them? I would say that uh, there are three things that you mentioned. One is clearly stubbornness that I have learned a lot, especially with things that happen in my life too. And this is very mm -hmm. linked to, to this kind of uh, play alone. So I have learned a lot to, to be a team player. And, and this is why also one of the reasons of my success. And I had really good experiences by developing that. So once you take your areas of development and you, you put them as challenge because I'm, I'm also stubborn in that sense. So, so to make sure that you take that and you put it as a, as I would say, uh, as a goal to, to mm -hmm. become better, to, to learn from others. Um, th this is one area that I clearly change a lot uh, in my professional career and now now I see it even that I, I sometimes became a lot less stubborn and I'm a, a big team player. And where did you learn, where did you learn this? Where did you learn to, be, uh, to, to lead people and to be good with teams? Because that doesn't come naturally yeah. with, for somebody with your profile. L let me share with you an anecdote. So I had, the other day I was counting, I had I think it's 34 bosses in my life. And uh, if I take the, the five that impacted me most, um, mm -hmm. I think I've learned a lot of observing. So I'm, I'm a big observer uh, in mm -hmm. many senses. And I think that when you look at personalities, both that they are very similar to yours and, and very different from, from your personality. And you look at the tips and tricks that those people, especially the ones that are great leaders, these five, six, mm -hmm. that for me were really kind of mentors in my professional life. And I observe how they overcome uh, the ones that are like me. They, they overcome those um, those weaknesses and be, and make them uh, kind of uh, opportunities and even um, great professional threats. And also how I look and I observe the ones that are completely different from me, and how they use, I would say, those strengths in public forums while talking, when managing teams, just by copy pasting. I would say some of these techniques. This is where I really learn a lot. So I really like to observe, take the best of each, I would say, or the worst of each, and then try to either mimetize and, and try it on my own, or to avoid yeah. doing this that I realize from others that if I do it also, it's not helpful. So for me, this has been a, a really great uh, learning. I did some trainings also in my career, uh, but for me, the best, best thing has been to learn from great leaders that I had in my professional life. Okay. What, what is it that drives you really in your work? I mean, you, you're clearly hardworking and you're very successful. So when at the end of the week are you happy? When, when do you feel good about yourself? What needs to happen for you to, uh, to really be content about the job that you're doing? When I feel that I'm adding value. So mm -hmm. this is something that, and I always like to, to reflect, maybe not on a daily basis, but yes, in a weekly basis, 
look back and say, okay, what did I do this week that added value to either the company, society, individual, that could be my kids, mm-hmm. my family, or my team, or that we did together. And if, if I see that during the week, I have done nothing that adds value to anyone. This is where I feel frustrated, where, where I see that something, something small, even if it has not been super visible, but it's visible for me that we have added value, make something better, a process or, or a tool or something. This is where I feel really motivated and drives me to come back next week. So we have an idea what drives you. We have an idea of, of, of your personality, how you're wired and, and what is important for you and how you make decisions. Can you tell us a little bit more about your core values? What are, and, and maybe a good way to, uh, to uh, analyze this is you, ha- you shared with us that you have two boys, 13 and 16, teenagers. What are the values that you're passing on to your children? Clearly, um, honesty and resilience. For me, these mm-hmm. are the two things that um, I consider myself a very honest person. Um, and I think that I, um, I, I want them to be also honest with themselves, with uh, the people that they relate to, because I think that honesty is a fundamental value that helps everything, helps to good conversations, I would say trust, it helps a lot of things. And, and I would say resilience for me, it's very relevant because especially as a woman, I had a lot of challenges in my life, in my professional life, as you can imagine, that without resilience, I would have not overcome them. So I think that mm-hmm. resilience teach you to, you know, when you fall down, to stand up again, to try things, to, to be selective on who do you trust, who you, do you listen, uh, but to take the best to observe. So for me, resilience is the second value that drives me a lot and that I try to, to convey to my kids. And mm-hmm. yeah, I would say these are the two most relevant ones for me. So, Eulalia, um, um, you, you mentioned that um, there were five, six uh, managers that you worked uh, for and uh, where you learned a lot from. Are there other people in your life that, that you look up to, that you learn from? And, and can you give an example of, of something specific that you learned from somebody? Yeah, uh, clearly my father is one also. So it's someone that mm-hmm. teach me a lot um, because he encouraged me in many moments of my life on, and he inspired me. Uh, he was a hard worker also. And, um, and he helped me also to take some tough decisions in my life. So he has been a clear mentor for me. And then a couple of um, good friends also, uh, personal friends, that, um, that they, they really listened to me in some, in some moments of my life that I needed maybe more than advice, someone that I could, you know, have a, a conversation without expecting a, an answer, but just expecting just uh, some challenges back. And from a boss's perspective, again, the the ones that really impacted me, I classify them into groups. There were these four or five that um, inspired me a lot because of their ways of um, managing people, leading people, being very inspirational. And Mm -hmm. and also I have two that that it was exactly the opposite. So there was such a bad experience that I learned what I don't want to be as a leader. But this was a big learning also for me, looking at you know, backwards in, in my life. I think both, both it's a great experience and a great learning. So I consider them also mentors because at the end, this, they teach me what not to do or what I don't want to do with, uh, with my kids, with and my friends. Yeah. 
And without mentioning them, what did you learn from these two bad managers that, that, that you had? I mean, that's, can, you, can you elaborate on that? Can you give an example? I would say it was mainly two things. One is the, the lack of human uh, humanity, I would say, this, mm -hmm. this honesty that I was mentioning. So uh, I think that in both cases, they were people that uh, they didn't listen, they didn't care about people, they were very uh, uh, putting themselves at the center, so with uh, uh, hidden agendas. So for me, this hidden agendas topic is something that uh, I've learned that it's, it's the worst thing that can happen in a company. And this is one thing yeah. that I really appreciate from GB Foods, uh, that we don't have hidden agendas. And, um, and I think that the way that they were treating people, so the way that were um, communicating to people, the, the lack of empathy, the lack of honesty, this is what I, I decided that as much as I'm in a difficult situation, managing a complex com conflict uh, moment, I will never uh, lack respect to the person that I'm talking to, or I would never uh, be dishonest, I would say, to, to that person, because at the end, um, everything will come back to a, you know, a, a bad end. So You have worked for eight different companies now, many different bosses you shared as well. Uh, and and you've, you've made quite a career, and, and congratulations on that. But I'm sure that on the way, we all make our mistakes, and we all have our failures. So would you mind sharing maybe what was your most brilliant failure that you ever came across as a, as a professional? Yeah. Well, I, I, I always remember, I think it was in my middle, you know, career path. It was not at the beginning, so that that we had a big, big failure with a, with a rollout of a, a big uh, SAP implementation because we completely, completely underestimated um, the change management required uh, with people. Um, I think it was a combination of implementing in Asia and in Latin America. So I came with all the European, I would say, expertise. And, and we completely failed because of the cultural differences and our and this underestimating the the different approach that you need to follow with different cultures, with different users, with different needs. So it was a big failure, but a big learning, because I think now I take a lot of care of cultural differences and change management and the need to make sure that people are on board before you come with a tool. So I, I completely changed the order after that. So first comes people and processes and then the tools, not the opposite. So this was a big failure. We didn't go live at the end and we needed another year to roll out everything from, I would not say from scratch, but almost. But uh, yeah, it was a big learning. Yeah. Now let's talk about good things as well. So, in, I mean, if you look back, if you look back a little bit on your life and, and where you are now, what is maybe one of the best things that has uh, ever happened to you? I think my, my professional career in general, I, mm -hmm. I feel really, really proud of, um, of the different companies that I, I have been able to work for and, and the mm -hmm. different roles that I could have uh, played, that I have played in each of them. So I, I feel really happy and proud about having had the opportunity to transform in different sectors, in different companies, processes mm -hmm. to achieve results and, and to make uh, good friends and good colleagues in each of them. So if I look at my eight 
experiences, there is none, none of them that I regret anything. So I think that this is something that I feel happy and proud. And looking backwards, I always like each of them and what I have done in each of them, the people I've met in each of them, and what I have achieved and delivered as value in each of them. So I feel proud about all that. Okay, super. Now, you've, you're clearly very passionate about delivering success, and passionate about creating teams, about honesty and about no hidden agendas and, and adding value to, uh, to organizations. What are the passions in your private life? What is it that, that you spend time on outside of the company? I like um, more and more sport, so I must admit that Adidas changed my life also when it comes to sport. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I become a lot more sporty. Um, I like uh, sports also that are not super high, you know, like uh, you know, high speed, things like that. But I like yoga, I like Pilates, I like swimming. So sports is one part of my life that I like a lot. Mm -hmm. I love music and I love spending time with friends. So I. Um, it's, it's very important for me now to, to spend time with people that I appreciate, that I love and, and that uh, they make me happy also in that, uh, you know, ful they fulfill my life, not be beyond, I would say, professional life um, with great conversations, great silence and, yeah, having... Uh, and that's the, in the moments. beautiful city of Barcelona. So what, what better place in the world to do that? So. I agree. I, I really like travel also, traveling a lot. So I'm a big fan mm -hmm. of uh, even short, you know, weekend, uh, spending weekends elsewhere. So I like to visit cities and my kids come with me many times. So we are big travelers. Yeah, we like to, to visit cities and to enjoy other cities. But absolutely, Barcelona, it's a lovely city. So uh, okay. I'm super happy to be back here also. What is it that you fear most and what is it that you love most in your life? I think that fear, um, I would say topics related to health, especially. Mm -hmm. So I think that all this, not only because of the pandemic situation in general, no, when you become older, um, health becomes a, an asset, I would say. So yeah. this is something that you always are a little bit scared about getting older and, um, and having health issues. Um, it's not really fear, it's just something that it's kind of a concern, um, yeah. not only for me, also for my, um, my family and my parents, you know, and everyone that is surrounding me. And what I really love most, I would say it's silence. I'm a person that sometimes likes to stay in a place, quiet, silence, open air, and, and just enjoy that. And what, what does that bring to you? So, so, so tell me, how do, how do you do that? Is that while doing yoga in silence or by meditating in silence or what is it that the silence brings you? No, I, I don't meditate really. So I'm not a, a person that meditates. I think that it just gives me a, a, a space where I can mm -hmm. um, think about the things I like or listen to my music or, you know, to disconnect a little bit. It, it, it helps me to remove my, or not remove, but lower my stress levels. And it, mm -hmm. it gives me energy also. So silence brings me energy. And um, yeah, it's, it's kind of a, a break, uh, air. So it's, it's a combination of things that um, helps me a lot in my case. Okay, super. Now, Ulala, you have shared many, many things with us. So thank you so much for that. Um, there's one last question that I have uh, for you. 
And that is these videos that are watched by uh, thousands of people around the globe. And, uh, and many of them are young, ambitious IT professionals that also want to become successful digital leaders, that also want to become CIOs in, in, in different sectors. So looking back at your career path, what would, what's the advice that you would give to a young future digital leaders um, that want to be in, uh, in your shoes? I would say for me the advice, it's, and it's something that I always share with my kids, is this combination between perseverance but balance. Balance in the sense, perseverance in the sense to, to, to bring all these uh, new things and all this knowledge that they have and all this, I would say, enthusiasm that they bring um, to, to not stop, you know, bringing that to the, our lives and to companies and to colleagues and everything, but balance in the sense of finding the right moment. Uh, being patient when it's uh, important to be patient, um, to spend time to, to engage with others before trying to do things on, on their own. So I think that the digital natives sometimes are a little bit impatient and, 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 and this is why we, we sometimes don't transform as fast as we should. But I think mm -hmm. if, if a digital native has the right level of perseverance with the right balance of patience, that works perfectly because you can really change things at the right pace with a great success. Okay, and with that advice, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for sharing all your insights, your experience. It was a pleasure uh, to, uh, to do this interview and I look forward to meeting you soon in the beautiful city of Barcelona. Thank you so much. Thank you, thanks for your time also, thank you. Thank you.